0: privilege to be together. Hey, I want to give you a quick invitation to open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to a Daniel chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today, Daniel chapter 4. And uh, as you do that, I got a, a quick announcement uh, for us. i um, actually getting a little information here via text. Um, at Meadowland Church, we, uh, we believe that life is a journey and no one should have to walk that journey alone. And one of, the, one of the questions we ask from time to time or get asked by people is it asks us, hey, what does it look like to walk alongside people on a spiritual journey? And my answer is almost always the same, but I'd say it always looks different depending on where people are and what they're going through and the circumstances on their lives. What, what, what we do to walk alongside people really depends on who we're walking alongside and where they're at and what they're going through. And, and today we, we really have an opportunity to walk alongside um, some people who call Meadowland Church home. In fact, right before the, the first service, our 9 o'clock service, uh, we got a call from Ian Hansen. You might know Ian and his wife, Samantha. They have three lovely kids, Aubrey, Dylan, and Mackenzie. Uh, Ian was supposed to serve today on the setup team, and he called Sean Thompson, who's his ministry leader, and just said, hey, bro, I'm probably not going to be able to come and help on the setup team, and I wanted you to know, and I wanted Pastor Adam to know I won't be at church and the reason I won't be there is because my house burnt down this morning. And uh, about 4.45 this morning, uh, their house burnt down. They had some sort of fire break out in their backyard, and uh, it spread to the house. Once the house caught fire, it went very, very quickly. In fact, by God's grace, um, Ian, Samantha, and all their children made it out and were safe. But what Ian said was, it was a close call. And uh, so on one hand, we're, we're thankful that God protected them. That they're all safe. If, if you know, if you've been around a uh, Meadowland church, Ian is directly related to Kai. Um, although Ian's better looking, don't tell Kai I said that. Um, Ian, Ian is directly related to Kai, so he's over at Kai's house. Um, and, so, and so virtually they're homeless, they don't have a home of their own. I would say most of their belongings and possessions are gone. And um, they, they are now in the process of working with insurance companies and that kind of stuff to figure out what's next. So here's, here's what I'm doing to you. I'm communicating to you that we have a need that's a part of our body here. And um, uh, we've, we've been in communication all morning with uh, Ian and Samantha, kind of hit or miss. And the question we've asked is, what do you need and what can we do? And the reality is they're, they're not quite sure yet. Um, they're still trying to figure out some of that stuff. But what I would, what I would like to do is just kind of communicate to you this morning that we do have a church, uh, a family member, um, people that we love, who uh, are going through that situation, I want to invite you to be part of that solution. I want to invite you to walk alongside them on, on their journey and what they're going through. And, um, and so if you want to make a donation towards that, you can make a donation to the church and just say Benevolence Fund, the Hansons, and, and we'll allocate that stuff to them. Um, right now, we're, we're trying to get some information from them. You know, they do have baby McKenzie, and so um, I have been told that there's some diapers that are being bel- delivered by people in the church or some formula going their way. Um, there's a couple people who have handed us just cash and said, hey, uh, give this to them. Um, I think there's some people that are pooling together to get like a prepaid Visa card for them so they could just go get what they need and that kind of stuff. I'd also say this. This isn't a one-time deal. It's probably going to be a, a little bit of a long-term walking alongside them. And so maybe you've got a house and you say, hey, I could offer up a house. Maybe you'd be willing to offer them some child care as they go through this. Maybe you'd be willing just to make some meals and deliver them some, some meals and that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe you could say, hey, if you guys need to do laundry, you can come to my house and do laundry. But what an awesome opportunity we have to show the love of Christ to people who are a part of the body here. Um, you know, that's the thing, right? Jesus says, they'll know that you'll, you're my disciples, not by... The music you listen to, the t-shirts you wear, not by where you attend church. He says, You'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love. And so what an awesome opportunity we have to walk alongside the Hanson family, even if you don't know them. I mean, what an awesome opportunity to say we love Jesus enough to support you as you walk, walk through this time. And so I want to spend a moment just to pray for them and some other stuff going on, and we're going to dive right in this morning. But um, we are the body of Christ, and when we come together, um, we make up the bride. And, and, you know, when we come in this place, everything that we are comes with us. The the, the goodness stuff, the sin stuff, the struggles, the victories, all of that comes together. And the reality is what happens to you happens to me, and what happens to me happens to you, and what happens to the Hansons happens to all of us. And so um, let's just walk alongside them and really rally in prayer and support to let that family know, hey, your house burnt down, but There's enough people in God's house to walk alongside you that you don't have to worry about it. So let me pray, and we're going to dive in this morning. I I realize I just, like, gave you some information, and now I'm going to be like, and let's get into the Lord's Word. You're going to be thinking, the house burning down, but I really think God wants to do a work through his Word in our hearts today. So I'm going to try to make this transition. We're going to get some stuff, and I'm going to try to get you out of here so you can go be the body of Christ and walk alongside them and other people. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we um, come before you this morning. God, I just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that even when we walk through overwhelming circumstances in our lives, God, that um, our circumstances do not define your character. God, that you are holy, holy, holy. God, I just thank you and I praise you this morning that you, in your sovereignty and all your power, God, that you protected that family. Lord, that they're all okay. Lord, all the possessions can be replaced. But we're so thankful for the Hanson family and that they're okay, God, and we lift them up to you and we just ask that you would um, do an incredible work. Lord, I pray that um, that it may take a miracle for insurance companies to agree and for houses to be rebuilt and that kind of stuff, God, but we know that you're big, that you're a big God, that you can do that. Lord, I pray for us as a church and us as a people, God, that we would respond to you and respond to that family and just give them an outpouring of love that would, benefit them and be to their joy, God, that we would um, just love one another the way you command us to. And God, I just pray that you'd continue to work in their lives, Lord. I believe that you use circumstances to lead us and to reveal yourself to us. And so I pray that even in the midst of this tragedy, God, that both Ian and Samantha would get a bigger picture of who you are, that maybe they would see you clearer than they've ever seen you before. And I pray that one day they would look back on this experience and say, this was for God's glory and for our joy. God, that we do claim that your scripture says all things work together for the good and for your glory. God, so we claim that over this situation. God, I also come before you this Veterans Day and just thank you so much for this country that we live in. Lord, for the freedoms that we still have. And I thank you for the men and for the women who have served and who are serving. God, we Lift up the families of those who have felt the sting of death, that they've lost loved ones who defended this country in active service, Lord. And I just pray that you would continue to be with us. Lord, we also pause. We lift up our president before you, God, that you would fill him with wisdom. God, I pray that you would give him sound judgment, that you would surround him with wise people who would seek godly wisdom. God, and ultimately we know that you are the sovereign king. And so we do want what's best for our nation. And we believe that Uh, Our president has a lot to do with that. Lord, we pray for all our leaders who are above us in authority and ask that you would lead them and that they would live good lives and be healthy and well because what happens to them that is good will ultimately happen to our nation as good. And so we just pray that you would continue to lead us. God, I pray this morning as we open up your word and continue in Daniel 4, I pray that um, you would open our eyes that we could see you. God, I pray that you would just crack open the areas of our hearts that have been hardened to you. God, I pray that you would show up. More than anything, we need your presence in our lives. And I pray this morning as we hear your word, God, that we would do your word. And that our lives would be changed in an instant. Not because of of who we are, but because of who you are. And because of what you've done. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. A couple years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity uh, to take a vacation. And we went on, on a cruise. We went to the Bahamas, which was awesome. And um, one of the things that's really kind of fun in our lives is we have a a friend of the family that is a travel agent. And so from time to time, this actually has only happened twice, but we would call up and we would say, hey, um, we're looking at taking a vacation. And she would respond by saying something like, well, what's more important, where you go or when you go? And and usually I would say when we go because of my schedule and that kind of stuff. And she would say, well, let me me do a little work. And twice in, in in, in our marriage, when well, we called her, she's had opportunities for us to go places based on the fact that other people bought most of the vacation but didn't buy the insurance and then couldn't go. Um, one was actually our honeymoon. Like we, got, we went to a place that we could not afford to go on. Except for this other couple put down like fifty percent of the money and then broke up and didn't buy the insurance and so they didn't want to go. The vacation was already half paid for, so we paid the other half and our relationship's still together and that was awesome. And we kinda of thanked them for breaking up. It really worked out well for us. That same thing happened with this cruise. I called said, Hey, we're looking to take a vacation. We didn't have any kids at this point. I said, Hey, we just wanna get away, have some fun. We lived in South Dakota where it was cold and we said we'd like to go somewhere warm and put our our feet in the sand, and enjoy the sun. And so she said, hey, same kind of deal. We've got actually a, a cruise vacation that's like 40% paid for. It's over these dates. If you want it, it's yours. And this other couple who didn't love Jesus enough to keep their relationship together, you can go. So I said, awesome, let's let's do that. And so like I never really wanted to go to the Bahamas, but it just sounded really great. So we went on a cruise ship to the Bahamas. And one of the things we did there, other than my wife being attacked by... Um, uh, now I can't even think of it, a big stingray. It was awesome. I have pictures, and I told her, like, I, like have you ever done this? Remember, you're like, honey, this is going to be great, and it's going to be okay, and then it wasn't okay. It's so one of those moments. She's like, didn't Steve Ir- Irwin get killed by one of these things? I'm like, babe, that, that was a, a rare thing, and she was holding the fish above the water, and this thing, like, jumped up out of the water, and it, it's funny now. It wasn't then, because I told her, like, this will never happen to you until she got, like, engulfed by this thing, but then after that, We went to this like private island that they had where we just got to hang out on the beach and kind of bask in the sun and swim and all that kind of stuff, and and we had a blast. The problem was we had so much fun that we both ended up falling asleep on the beach. And we had these these beautiful chairs that were really comfortable, and we we sat in those, and we fell asleep, and there were ships that would come back and forth to the island that would then like take you back to the boat, and and we decided that we were going to stay most of the day. And, and so these, this voice came over these speakers and it said, the last ship of of the day is coming. You know, please get your stuff together. And and, and in that moment, I woke up. And, and in that moment of waking up, I realized we had been asleep for way too long and way too much sun. We were really, really sunburned. In fact, I had been wearing a hat. I'd done all these deals because of the sun. I had the hat kind of pointing like this. So I had like weird patterns over my face where sun hit and sun didn't hit. And, and it was to the point, Then when Audrey stood up to try to walk, her legs were sunburned so badly, she didn't even know if she was going to be able to make it back to the ship. So I said, hey, let's do what any wise person would do. Let's get back in the water. Maybe that would cool us down. And so salt water, not so good for that, but it did help a little bit. And so we got back to the ship, and we got Audrey into the, into the room, and I said, hey, I'll go get some ibuprofen, some aloe, and I'm going to go get some Gatorade, because we were really dehydrated. I mean, like, I think I baked a couple organs. Like, I mean, there, there were some, like, medium rare stuff going on, and, and, and I thought my liver could maybe be cooked. I mean, this is just a bad deal. Now, the, the thing with the cruise ship is that it was kind of designed poorly, at least in my mind, because, like, from where we were staying you like got to a certain point, had to take an elevator to another floor, and then you had to go there, take another. I always got lost. Like Most of this vacation involved me being lost on the cruise ship. And, and so I finally got to the store, and I got the aloe vera, I got some ibuprofen, and, and I, got, I got the Gatorade. And, and the thing was is I was so sunburned, I was so dehydrated, I, I, like, I didn't have saliva in my mouth. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it was just like I got to get something in here before I, I dry out and die. And so I got the Gatorade, and and listen, I know there's other people like, you know, Powerade and that kind of stuff. I'm a Gatorade guy, okay? I like Gatorade. I figure if it's good enough for MJ, it's good enough for me, all right? So if I choose my sports drinks, I choose NBA superstars, and what they do, I'm just joking. So I got the Gatorade, and and I I literally, I'm walking back to the room, and all I want to do is drink something. And and so I I ripped open the tab, just like I'm going to do here. This is how I open it with my teeth. If you're a parent, that probably drove you crazy. You don't do that. But um, you open it up. Tear off this, this tab. And if any of you have ever drinking Gatorade before, you know this is, this is kind of what happens. It, is that I open the tab and I was like, oh, I just need the refreshing. I, I just need the electrolytes. I just need to get something in my system. And I tilted it back and there's nothing. Like, there's nothing there. Now, I, I wrote Gatorade a letter, but they never responded to me. And I thought, if you put that wrapper on, like, why in the world is it that underneath this tab, there's, there's another protective layer holding everything back. Because for me in that moment, I realized everything that I needed from here, the electrolytes, the nutrition, the refreshment, everything I desired was being held back by this little tab. See, I think that the same is true in, in your life and my life on a completely different scale. See, I believe according to Scripture that God has invited us into a relationship with him. In fact, as I read scripture, I see a God who relentlessly pursues people so that they could enter into a relationship with Jesus where Jesus could save them so that they could enter into an eternal relationship with God where they could have life everlasting. Maybe the simplest way to say it is like this. I believe that Jesus was serious in John 10.10 when he said that, I have come to give life and life to the full. That I believe that we have a God who wants to flood us with his grace. That we have a God that wants to fill us with his spirit. That we have a God that wants to show us an outpouring of his love. That we have a God that through relationships, through his presence in our life, would reveal to us his power. But I think most of us, if we're honest in our own lives, we experienced what I experienced with, with the Gatorade bottle. So we know that God is good, and we know that God is holy, and we know that God is powerful. And we want to experience his grace, we want to experience his love and his mercy, but the reality is we have trouble getting what's in here into here because something's holding it back. And see, I think the reason that you and I, on a pretty regular basis, that even though we desire an outpouring of God in our lives, don't experience it, actually has very little to do with God. and mainly has to do with you and me. So I think the reason that most of us haven't experienced God in a very significant way in our lives is because we haven't dealt with this yet. And the reality is, even though this tab is very small, it's very powerful. That it has the ability to hold this back from getting into here when I really, really need it. And just so we're clear, the thing we're talking about when we talk about this is your sin and my sin. That we want to experience an outpouring of God. We want to be refreshed by him. We want to be nurtured by him. We want to get, have the life that he's promised to give us. But the reality is we can't experience this until we deal with this. Now here's where I want to be really clear. Because some of you have grown up in church and you've been around church for a really long time. And even though I haven't used official words yet, I've just said that there's sin in our lives that's preventing us from experiencing God, some of us get to this point where we think is, I have to change my behavior to experience God. And I want you to know I'm not talking about behavior modification this morning. Like, usually what we think is, oh, I'll just try to be better so I can experience God. Now I'll tell you this, if you could be better, you would already be better. Like, if you could do better, you would just do better and you experience God. And the reason you haven't experienced it yet is because I'm not talking about behavior modification. Because when we talk about behavior modification, what we usually mean is, I'll try to do less of the stuff I know that I'm not supposed to do. In fact, we use language like this all the time. We'd say things like, I'm not going to swear. Well, at least I'm not going to swear in church. Right? So now I've modified my behavior. Therefore, God's supposed to show up. And the reality is this, maybe you've tried that before. You've said, hey, I'm just going to try to change my behavior. And the reality is it doesn't last very long. It actually doesn't accomplish what we want it to accomplish. It's because it doesn't get to the source. Like when we try to change our behavior, what happens is we try to address the fruit and not the root. Like really what we're addressing is the external instead of dealing with the internal. In fact, I would go as far to say when you and I try to just change our behavior, what we're trying to do is address the temporary instead of trying to address the eternal things in our life. And see, if you and I want to learn how to deal with this, what we're really talking about is repentance. Talking about the process in your life, in my uh, my life, excuse me, of changing our minds about who God is, what sin is, and how we deal with it. But I think on the most basic level, I would define repentance as a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Repentance isn't just about information, it's about transformation. It's about a change of mind that leads to something. It's about a change of mind that has action and results in our lives. It's a change of mind that is directly expressed. Through my behaviors. But listen, listen, listen. It's more about making a decision and allowing that decision to drive your behavior than it is to say, I just want to try to change my behavior. In fact, I have three quotes I'd like to share with you today because I think each person who I would consider to be a very godly man and be what I would even consider a scholar (laughs) says this about repentance. And I want to share these three with you. If you don't get them all, you can go on my blog. I've had them on my blog because these have really been powerful in my own life. And it says this. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin. Like, I, I want to stop real quick. See, like, that's what happens in our lives, right? You get to a point and you go, I didn't really realize that was evil. Like I was raised in that culture. I, I always thought that was normal. Part of repentance is beginning to realize there's good and there's bad, there's evil things in our lives. And so he says it's a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, and a resolution to forsake it. Spurgeon says what happens is we begin to understand that, hey, this is evil. And once we discover that this thing is evil, it actually pains us. There's a sadness. Like, I I don't like that. And not only do I not like it, but I'm going to forsake it. I don't want to do it anymore. It's about the realization of these evil things in our lives and saying, not only am I going to walk away from it, but I'm going to kill it. Like, I'm going to make it my enemy. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man or woman love what once he hated and hate once he loved. He says, listen, at the core of it is that you and I begin to discover what's evil or sinful in our lives. And when we discover that we have sin in our lives, it should actually create a mourning in us that I don't want this to be a part of me, that there's a sadness around this. And not only that, but then we'd go to battle with it and say, not only do I forsake you, but now I hate you. And because I hate the sin, the reason I hate the sin is because I love God. And I no longer want the sin to prevent me from experiencing the abundant life that God has given me. I don't want, to, I don't want the sin to hold me back from having intimacy, a relationship with God. J.I. Packer says it this way, Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance is to be enlarged. The Jab Hagger says, when you and I begin to see our sin, we see our sin dependent on of what we know about ourselves. And what we know about ourselves is really informed of what we know of God. I would translate it to say this way in my own life, I know this to be true. The closer I get to Jesus the more highly aware I become of my sin. And it's a growing process. See, I think many of us believe that there was this point, especially if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, that you believe at some point you you prayed and you asked Jesus into your life, and in that moment you were saved. That Whether it was at church, whether it was at home, whether it was a parent, that the Holy Spirit called you, your heart awoken, and you said, I need God, I want to trust Him, I want to love Him, I want to pursue Him, I want to worship Him, and now the rest of our lives is following that desire and following that commitment, that if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then we spend the rest of our lives pursuing Him and worshiping Him and desiring more of Him. What J.I. Packer says is you grow in your walk with the Lord so you grow in your walk with Jesus, you'd become more aware of your sin. As you become more aware of your sin, you would just continue to repent more and more. Which means repentance isn't a one-time deal. Because for some of us, we think, well, on that day that I got saved, I repented. I never have to repent again. I'm going, no, no, listen. The more you become aware of your sin, the more repentance you'll do. That the more we understand Jesus, I think the more time we spend repenting and being heartbroken over the sins we've allowed and the sins that we've committed in our lives. John Piper says it this way. He says, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and all of our obedience. See, so I believe in a room this size, there's probably two types of people here. There's probably those of you that are saved by Jesus. You're a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple. There's probably others of us here that maybe haven't made that decision. Like maybe you're just kind of searching things out. Maybe you're just interested in knowing who Jesus is. And here's what I want for both of you. Whether you're a a Christian or, or whether you're not a Christian, I want the same thing for both of you this morning. It's to make that decision that God is more beautiful, more worthy, and more lovely than anything else, and that you would pursue him. That every single one of us would make a conscious decision to say, because God is who he is, there is nothing more worthy, nothing more lovely, nothing more valuable, that I would pursue nothing other than Christ. See, here's what you got to know. If you make the decision to pursue Christ, you know what you can't pursue? Sin. You can't pursue him at the same time. Like, you can't actively pursue sin and actively pursue Christ because they're as far apart as the east is from the west. Like, you can't get there. Now, here's the thing. I I just want to take any confusion, as much confusion as possible out of this. Every single one of us is broken, is hurting, and is sinful in nature. Which means even on my best day, as I pursue Christ, I will still wrestle with sin. I will still wrestle with my brokenness. I will still face temptation. But as a hurting, broken, sinful person, I, because of God's grace, through the power of his Holy Spirit, can make the decision to say, God, I will pursue you to the best of my ability. And even in the process, I'll battle sin. There might be times I fail and sin. But you and I have the ability, by God's grace, to be saved and to pursue Jesus and to worship him and say, all my time, all my energy, all of me, goes to you, even though I'll still wrestle with sin. Like, that's my hope that you and I would be those kind of people. But we can't be people that are just kind of nominally saved. Like, people that go, I don't really pursue Jesus. I think I'm saved by him, but really where I spend my time is just pursuing sin. I'm going to do whatever I want to do because it makes me feel good, and I'm just going to go this route. And the thing is, you can't do both. Like, you can't pursue Jesus and pursue sin. I don't think you can be saved by Jesus and continue to pursue sin in your life. I think you pursue him or you pursue sin in your life. And repentance is the act of this, saying, I don't want any more sin. I don't want to pursue this. In fact, now that I've recognized that this is evil, now that I've recognized this is sin, I'm hating it, I'm forsaking it, and God, I need your help to kill this in my life because I'm turning from this, and God, I'm returning to you. God, I used to be satisfied in this, but not very long, but I believe I can always be satisfied in you. God, this used to be the source of my identity, but because of who you are and because of what you've done, this is no longer the source of my identity. You are now the source of my identity. I find all my identity being your child that's been saved by Jesus. The repentance is you and I turning away from this stuff and running into an arms of our our holy, holy God and saying, God, I don't want anything other than you, and I don't want to seek anything other than you, I won't worship anything other than you, and I won't be satisfied in anything other than you. And when it happens, I will forsake it and kill it and repent of it because all I want is you. And see, for this to happen, I think you and I need to begin to see Jesus for who he really is. And not only do we need to begin to see Jesus for who he really is, we need to begin to see our sin as Jesus sees our sin. Because I think we live in a culture that really wants to de- like just undo the word sin. I-, I even see it in the churches today. We don't want to talk about sin. We want to talk about struggles. We want to talk about hang-ups. We want to talk about trials. But nobody wants to talk about sin. And the reality is that sin is a really big deal. And sin is really, really terrible. And sin is like a cancer in our lives that will kill us, and yet we have a God who sent his son Jesus, even though he was holy, 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 even though he was perfect, he lived a holy life, even though he was blameless, he went to a cross, where he died as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin, and he rose again to overcome, to give us victory, to give us freedom for freedom's sake, so that you and I could deal with our sin by his power, so that we could kill his sin by his victory, and so that we could live lives fully connected to God, having an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. And see, let's even get past loving God for the stuff we get. Let's just start loving God for loving God. Like, let's look at salvation and say, you know why I'm saved is so that I can get rid of my sin and have a relationship with, Father, with my Heavenly Father, and as a part of that, I get eternal life. As a part of that, I get the promises. But I'm really after is God. Because if God showed up, that's enough. Like, if God shows up, that's everything I need. And if God is present, then there's nothing I can't do. And if He is with me, then there's nothing that can be against me. And if he's dealt with my sin, why in the world would I allow sin to continue to harm me and prevent me from having a relationship with my God? Like, listen, I just want to throw this out there. There is the dangerous possibility that you and I could go to church for years. 5, 10, 15, 25, 30, 40, 50 years. And really love the music. But do you go to church for years, and every time the music plays, you get goosebumps? Every time the, the pastor preaches, you really enjoyed or think it was really great? You might even love the people and feel really connected and really supported. But the reality is you could go every week and listen to the, the music, listen to the message, and be really connected with the people, and go to church for years and never change. Because if you could go to church your whole life and never deal with the sin that separates us from our God. And listen, you and I have to deal with this if we want to get this. Because I believe we have a God who wants to pour himself out to us. I believe we have a God who's been pursuing us so that he could put us in a relationship with his son who's offered us forgiveness and freedom and victory so that we might have life and life to the full because this has been dealt with. In fact, as I read scripture, I believe revival in your life and my life, refreshment in your life and my life, blessing in your life and my life is always preceded by repentance. Going before a holy God. And not just saying, God, you know I sin, God, you know I sin, God, you know I sin, but saying, God, this is a problem. And I don't want it to be a problem anymore. I want to forsake this sin. I want to kill this sin because I want more of you. And I don't want this to prevent this any longer. And so what I'm asking for is your help and your victory to overcome this thing because I'm changing my mind about how I feel about this because ultimately I've changed my mind about how I feel about you. I want more of you, not less of you. In fact, let me ask you this question What is this in your life? For you today, what is this in your life? In fact, if you open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4, we're just going to dive into Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 10, because we're talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. I actually think Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 3, and Daniel chapter 4 is actually more about King Nebuchadnezzar than anybody else. But I think the first four chapters of Daniel are more about God pursuing Nebuchadnezzar than anything. I think the first four chapters of Daniel is about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being taken and their experiences in captivity. But ultimately, what these first four chapters are, the story of God taking four Hebrew teenagers out of their homeland into the king's presence because God wanted to use them so that he could pursue the king through them in his circumstances. And one of the things that continue happens to King Nebuchadnezzar is he keeps having these dreams. This has happened before in the book of Daniel. In fact, it was so bad for the king that he was willing to kill everybody who was one of his counselors, wise men, magistrates, if they could not both tell him the dream and interpret the dream. And we know that because we have the scripture that Daniel was the only one that could do both by God's power. In fact, Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar time and time again, the reason I'm able to do this is because the most holy God. Like, it's not me, it's him. And I think the reason this is going on in your life is because he's trying to do something. Daniel chapter 4, the same thing happens. King Nebuchadnezzar has a horrifying dream, and he's not exactly sure what the dream means, so he's looking for an interpretation because he wants to know what's happened. And this is what he says. Daniel chapter 4, verse 10 to 18, this is his dream. He says, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw the visions in my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, stir off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the field. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. And to the end of the living may be known to the most high rules, the kingdom of men, and give it to whom he, he will and sets over it the lowliest of men, So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's like, listen, there's this tree. It's a big tree, beautiful tree, lots of fruit. Gives life to all kinds of animals, shade, shelter, all that stuff. And he says this holy one shows up and says, we're going to cut this thing down. We're going to get rid of the tree. And he goes, I have no idea what this means. This whole thing about this beast thing, what's going on with this. It's kind of like Stephen King in Twilight meets Scripture. He's not real sure what's going on with it. So he talks to Daniel. He says, Daniel, you, you've, you've been able to do this before this is my dream. And this is what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 4.19. Then Daniel's who name was Belshazzar. Belshazzar is the name the king gave him. Was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar, that's Daniel, answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. This is what Daniel says. As Daniel seeks the Lord and he begins to get the revelation, he goes, this is, this is not going to be good news. In fact, this is terrible news. And what Daniel tells the king is, what I'm about to tell you, I really hope it's not for you. Like, what I'm about to tell you, I actually hope it's for your enemies and for the people that hate you, because I, I, don't, I don't want to tell you what the dream means. Now this is interesting. Here's Daniel, who's been taken as a slave. King Nebuchadnezzar directly sent his army to to savage and take over Daniel's homeland, to kill probably family and friends that Daniel once had. He's taken them as slaves, put them through school, challenged their faith time and time again. Through Daniel's best friends into a fiery furnace. And he goes, listen, I don't want to tell you the bad news. And I go, man, what's up with Daniel's character? Like, this guy has so much respect for the guy that's, like, been ruining his life, even though he's a leader. And I just think Daniel had respect for those in authority above him, even if he did not like them. Because I think Daniel remembers what you and I often forget. God is sovereign. The God is king. The God is Lord that he rules and he reigns. Listen, if God didn't want Nebuchadnezzar to be king, Daniel goes, I don't need to go to an election. I'll just pray and God, you you can take that thing out. And it, it amazes me that Daniel stands before King Nebuchadnezzar and he goes, listen, this is bad news and I don't want to be the one to give it to you. And I would just simply ask you this question. How far apart is your attitude towards President Obama? How far apart is your attitude towards our president from Daniel's attitude towards King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'd pray on that one for a while. Anyway, he tells him, I don't want to tell you what I'm about to tell you because it's bad news. Verse 20, The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave a stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender of the field, of the grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, let his portion be the beasts of the field. Till seven periods of time pass over him, this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord and King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know what the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Now what, this is what Daniel says. Daniel goes a little Johnny Cash on King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, God's going to cut you down. He goes, listen, God's coming for you. He knows your sins, he knows your actions, and he's coming for you. And he's giving you this dream that he's going to cut you down. Your pride is great. Your sins are great. And God's going to cut you down because he's trying to get your attention. Every, t- every time you've tried to do something great, King Nebuchadnezzar, God has showed up. You had a bad dream. God sent me. I interpreted it. You made an idol. You threw some friends in the furnace. You saw Jesus in the furnace. You're having a dream again. And I'm just telling you, God is relentlessly pursuing you. And you are unyielding. So, God's going to do an incredible work in you. He's going to lead you to a place so that you'll be humbled, so that you'd begin to see you for who you are, and you'd begin to see God for who He is, and you'd begin to see your sins like God sees your sins. In fact, this is what Daniel says in verse 27 Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. And there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel says, listen, God is trying to come at you because he's trying to deal with your sins. And if you don't deal with it, God's going to lead you to this place where he will humble you. Now here's what I want you to see. This is not God condemning King Nebuchadnezzar. It's actually the opposite. It's God convicting King Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel. One of the greatest revelations that God can give you, and that God can give me, is the truth about our sin. So that we can deal with it. That you and I could be convicted of what's going on in our lives, of the sins that exist, so that we could take action on it so that we could begin to make things right, so that we could bring about reconciliation, that we could see our sin and then look at Jesus and experience forgiveness of our sins. And what happens is, is Daniel says, listen, God's coming at you, and he's leading you to a place where you will have to deal with the sins that are preventing you from seeing God for who he is. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I think God does the same thing in your life and my life that there are times where God shows up and says I need you to see the sin for what it is so that you can deal with it accordingly. And here's what we find. According to scripture, King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really think much of the dream. He doesn't really think much of the interpretation. Like we continue on in Daniel chapter 4 verse 28. It says all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was taking a walk on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Like, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar gets up on the roof of the royal palace. He looks out over his kingdom, and this is what he does. He throws himself a worship service. He's out there and he's like, it's all about me, Nebuchadnezzar, and only me, because I am the greatest thing, I'm the one, I'm the best, it's all about me and my righteousness. And then I think he high-fives himself, scripture doesn't say that, but I think that happened, I think he was like, go you, you're the man. I think Nebuchadnezzar was the guy that looked up in the morning and he's like, you are the man, if I wasn't me, I'd want to be you, pointing right back at himself. And what Scripture says is that God has been after him. God had been pursuing him. In verse 31, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling place, shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. I don't know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I just know I don't want it to happen to me. Okay, he's like a little werewolf man. I mean, I don't know what's going on there. Like he's a vegetarian beast that gets wet every morning and every night, and he's got some talons. I don't, know what that's, I don't, I don't even know what's going on with that. And what Scripture says is he's got seven years. I wouldn't want to do that for seven days. Like you couldn't convince me of that. But Scripture says that God puts King Nebuchadnezzar in a position where he could now be humbled, where he could now begin to recognize who he is, where he could begin to recognize who God is, and he could begin to see his sin for what it really is. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. This is about, this is about what King Nebuchadnezzar is going to say. He's gonna, my, my mind has changed. I've had a new thought. I've had a new idea. My old thinking is gone. My new thinking is here. And he goes, this is what I think. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors, my lords, they sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still, more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and all his ways are just, and all those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. King Nebuchadnezzar goes, listen, it's not about me. The guy who was high-fiving himself and holding worship services by himself on his roof to himself goes, it's him. He is greater, he is stronger, I have a kingdom, he has a kingdom of kingdoms. He goes, I am choosing because of what I've gone through, because of the way God showed up in my life, I'm choosing to praise him instead of praising me. Instead of pursuing my kingdom, I'm going to pursue his kingdom. Instead of living for my glory, I'm going to live for his glory because God sought Nebuchadnezzar to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's sin. See, this is the lie that you and I believe. You and I believe, but what if I told somebody? Like, what if people knew that I had sins going on in my life? That would actually hinder me instead of helping me. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar says. King Nebuchadnezzar says this was the greatest thing that ever happened to him says, the fact that he was able to deal with his sin actually added to him. That he actually had more wisdom than he ever had before. He said, majesty and splendor returned to me, but not only that, he says, more greatness was added to me. He was, I was a greater man. I was a greater king. I was a greater leader because I changed my mind about who God was, about what my sin is, and who I am. See, the reason that most of us are unwilling to deal with our sin is because we actually worry about what other people will think about us, what other people might say about us. I think for many of us, if we're honest, we wonder what would happen if my sins were ever exposed. And here's the thing. The reason that most of us don't experience the abundant life that only comes through the relationship that God has offered us. The reason that most of us don't experience this is because most of us have not dealt with this. And so here's what I, I want to do this morning. I'm going to take the pressure off of you because over the last of the, over the course of the last two months, I've had some various conversations with people. Some easy conversations, some more difficult conversations, but I've had a few conversations with people, and, they, and they've just said, hey, bro, it seems like God's doing some stuff in your heart. Seems like seems like you're doing better. seems like there's joy in your life. seems like your ministry is flourishing. I had a guy who I really love and, and really uh, appreciate. He's like, bro, I've been listening to your messages online. He goes, dude, like, I, I don't know what you're doing, but like, your last month or two of preaching was like, better than anything you've ever preached before. And I was like, thanks, I think. I'm not exactly sure how to take that one, but thank you. So I used to stink, and now anyway. So, and one of, somebody asked me, like, hey, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? I said, listen, I, I don't know about all that stuff, all that stuff they're saying. I said, all I know is this is I know in my own life over the last six months, God has been after me. Like, I just know every time I open up my Bible, it's like God's like, oh yeah, we got to deal with this today. And listen, I'll be honest with you, it has not been fun. Now, there's been times I open my Bible, and I'm like, I don't want to read that passage. Like, I, want to go, I just want to go read a nice little psalm, like, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And then he's like, let's talk about what you want. And I'm like, no, I want to talk about you leading me to green pastures, my friend, okay? Like, leave me alone. And over the last six months, I feel like I've spent more time in my spiritual ner- journey down on my knees, just repenting of sin than I ever had before. And the realities, is I've had conversations with people, conversations with my wife, conversations with staff and leaders here. I feel like the Lord really put it on my heart that I need to have a conversation with you this morning. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you four things that I've repented over, and I'm now going to confess them to you. Because what Scripture says is in James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So I want to just make this clear. Repentance is between me and God. Repentance is me coming to God saying, God, I hate this sin, I hate this sin, I hate this sin, but God, I love you, I love you, I want to pursue you, and I need your help to do that. Confession is me telling people, this is what's going on in my life. I used to pursue this. Now I want to pursue this. I still have a little bit of a struggle. I want you to pray for me. I want you to hold me accountable. And I really need your help on the spiritual journey. And Scripture says if we'd be willing to do that, that it would be powerful in our lives. So I quickly just have four things that I want to confess to you. None of these are like take me out of ministry type stuff, so just relax because some of you are nervous. And I just want to confess these things to you. And here's the thing, here's the thing. Honestly, I don't want you to admire me for doing this. This is not the goal. Like, honestly, I know this sounds harsh, but I'm just going to try to reveal my heart to you. I could care less how you feel about me at the end of the next five minutes, honestly. Because I just feel like the Lord told me I'm supposed to do this, and I'm I'm going to do it. And here's why I'm doing it. Number one, to be obedient to him. Number two, if I can do this from up here, which gets recorded and put out on YouTube and all kinds of stuff, here's the deal, then you can do this. And if it's okay for the pastor of the church you go to or the pastor of the church you're a member of to sit up here and say, these are things that I struggle with and these are things that I've had to repent of and these are things that I'm confessing to you because I want your prayer and your support and your help, then I don't think you have an excuse not to. Like, I think you could get with one brother or one sister or you could get with a small group of your ministry leader and go, hey, I just want to follow suit. So I'm not doing this to make you feel good about me. I'm doing this to set the standard. I would never preach something I'm unwilling to do. So here we go. Four things I've spent time repenting over that I feel like I need to confess to you. First one is this. At times in ministry, I have allowed my relationship with Jesus to take a back burner to ministry. And the thing is 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 I could give you all kinds of excuses and here's how i just call it what it is it's sin. It's sin. When anything other than Jesus becomes the priority in your life or my life it's sin. Like listen if you and I are getting our satisfaction, our identity, our fulfillment in anything other than the person of Christ it's idolatry. And it's sin. And listen, church Church is going really, really well for us. I mean, I, I don't know if you know all this stuff, but church is going great. I, I think we could effectively say we are reaching more people than we've ever reached before, and we're doing more ministry than we've ever done before, honestly. And it's all by God's grace, and it's all for his glory. Like, we got people making commitments of faith. We got people right now getting signed up to get baptized. We've seen many people baptized this year. Uh, We kind of joke as a staff that November is the growth month. Like, I mean, if you want to grow spiritually, November is your month, honestly. Like, we've got Monday, I've got a membership class that I'm teaching. If you want to know who Meadowland Church is and what we're about and how you can be a part, Monday night we'll meet right in here. We're going to go through the membership material. It's awesome. There's no reason, there's no reason, like, there's no requirement that you have to become a member. Just come get the information. Just find out what it looks like and what it means. And we're going to do that. Steve's teaching a getting started class If you just kind of need some help, maybe a jump start in your spiritual journey. If you want to know more about reading the Bible and prayer and spiritual discipline and really how you can, how you can invigorate that relationship between you and God, go to that class. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for a day, 20 years. Go to that thing. It'll be, it'll be awesome. We've got small groups kicking off. We've got a Welcome to Meadowland coming. I mean, like November's just all, all kinds of stuff. December is going to be crazy. Let me just tell you. We have more opportunities for you to invite people to come with church to you so you can tell them about the gospel and they can hear the gospel. It's going to be awesome. I mean, it's just great. We do more like services in December than we do any other month, and it's great. Everything's great. Everything's busy, but I've just made the decision that I will not allow Jesus to take a backseat to anything in my life. Like, he wins. Like, he wins. But I haven't always been really good at that. And there have been times, I'm just being honest with you, there have been times where I might not have gotten in my Bible that week except for the fact that I had to preach. And so there's times where I was saved by the sermon because I got on my knees before God and said, i got to read this thing and get in your word, and I really need your help because on Sunday everybody will know if I'm faking it or not. So please show up. And he's been so faithful. <laughs> I mean, he's been so good to me. But honestly, I, just, I won't do it anymore. Like, Jesus takes priority. Um, number two. I have tried to be who I thought you needed me to be rather than being who God created me to be. Let me unpack that one. I have become or tried to become who I thought you needed me to be instead of being who God has actually created me to be. I'm not exactly sure when that happened. But I think as the church has grown and there's all this responsibility and there's all this ministry and all these people, I thought I need to be who the church needs me to be instead of being who God created me to be. Which means I've tried to do things or acted differently than I would normally act. Now here's the thing, this isn't like sin stuff. Like I didn't like, I'm not talking about I'm going to sin all the time and deal with it. That's not what I'm saying. Like I think God has created every single one of us specifically with gifts, talents, abilities. And I think I've tried to alter some of that to serve you better. But here's the thing, it's a disservice to you if I'm not being authentic to who I am. So I need to be who God's created me to be. I'll just tell you, there's been times in my life where I've made decisions based on what does the church need rather than what is God communicating to me. And I remember a few months ago, God really spoke to me, and he just asked me the question, do you think I make mistakes? And I said, no. And he said to me, did God call you to be the pastor of this church? And I said, yeah, because like I'd never heard of Johnsburg, Illinois, to be honest with you, and if it weren't for you, Jesus, I don't think we'd have a church meeting in a barn, like kind of a miracle every week. And he said, do you believe I make mistakes? So, okay, Lord, I, I, I get it. Like, no. And I, re- I just remember writing this in my journal, that if God called me, then he'll equip me, and he'll use me, and he'll provide for me. And I remember as I wrote that out, the very next thing I wrote is, God, I'll let you be God and I'll just do my best to be me. And so here's the thing. I will not try to be anybody but me. And here's the deal. If you don't like me, that's cool. I really hope you like Steve or the elders or your small group or your service team because you don't have to like me to participate here. Number three, I have at times allowed the fear of man to trump the fear of God, which there's no excuse for. I have at times allowed my fear of man to trump my fear of God. Practically speaking, what that means is this. There have been times that I knew the right thing to do. I knew what God was saying to do. But I hesitated because I was more concerned about what people would say, how people would feel, or how people might respond than being obedient. Like, listen, I'll just tell you for your life and my life, there is a very thin line between hesitant and disobedient when God communicates something to you clearly? Like we get this as parents, right? Hey, go clean your room. Go pick up the the toys. How long between that commandment and hesitancy is disobedience? And God works the same way when he clearly speaks to us. I think he requires reaction from us. And I'm just saying, there's been times in my life, in my leadership, in my ministry here, where I've allowed stuff that could have probably been dealt with in a week to go on way longer than that. Because I was worried about what you would think, what you would feel, and how would you respond. And I'm not saying that I take that lightly, because I I love you all, and I love this church. Listen, I love this church, and I believe God wants to do an incredible thing in us and through us and around us. I I believe that. I believe God's going to do incredible stuff here. Like, listen. You stick around here in a couple years. We'll look back at this and go, like, remember that barn thing we did, and like, remember one service and two services, remember three, remember when we had like one person get saved. I think God's going to do something incredible. But here, here's the thing. I believe. Maybe this is the best way to say it. I believe one day, I will stand before a holy, holy, holy God, and give an account for my life. And in that moment, I'll be accountable for my walk with him I'll be accountable for my relationship and my ministry to my wife I'll be accountable to my relationship and my ministry to my kids and my family and I'll be accountable to my ministry and my relationship to this church and like I've just kind of resolved in my heart that when I stand before him on that day that my hope is that I can say to him you won every time you win that when I give a comment, once yeah, but they got mad or they got upset or they didn't think or I was just so afraid that listen, in my life this is my this is just where I'm at right now, Jesus wins. If He says to do it, I'm probably going to do it because He wins. If He says don't do it, I'm not going to do it because He wins. Like, and I'm not saying like I'm going to become this jerk and I'm just going to yell things and you shall respond. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you want to know where I'm going as a leader, He wins. It's all by His grace and it's all for His glory. And I just have made the decision I will no longer allow fear of man to trump a fear of God. He wins. The last one's the last one's a little more sketchy. And like first service got really excited, which I didn't know how to feel about that. But number four is this, I have not always been honest with you. I've not always been honest with you. Now, this isn't like anything that's gonna take me out of ministry or anything like that, okay? So relax, you sickos. Um somebody's like, This is where it's gonna get good, like phones are coming out for YouTube and Here's the deal. A couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, I preached and I talked about depression and admitted to you all that I, I went through a season of depression that I feel like I'm actually on the other side of. Praise God. Now, what was interesting is I had a couple conversations after that and I had somebody that I, I really love and really care about and had a relationship for a really long time come up to me with tears in their eyes and said, why didn't you tell me? I said, because it's none of your beeswax, man. And he said... Oh, so that's how you roll. And I said, What I said, what? And he said, You preach all the time, you can't do life alone. I said, Yeah, that's for all of you. Like, I gotta do this one by myself. And he said, Here's the thing. He said, if you would have told me and been honest with me, I could have supported you, I could have prayed with you, and I would have walked that journey with you. And like the minute he said that, I was broken. I began to think, you know what, if I would have just told people sooner, maybe I would have got better sooner. Like if instead of carrying that burden on my own, if I would have shared that burden, maybe God would have done a better work, both in me and through me, around me, because I was honest. And so I apologize to you, because there was probably about a year that I got up here and faked that everything was okay in my life. And the reality was, there was times i pulled out of this parking lot and thought, if this is all there really is to life, is it worth living? And so, I'm sorry for not being honest with you. That was a sin, and I've dealt with it from the Lord, and I'm asking for your forgiveness, and here's the thing, I'll never do it again, so like you should just get prepared for it. if my life's jacked up, you're going to hear about it, and like attendance will probably double next week, like a soap opera, like what's going on, what happened this week, but listen, I'm just telling you, listen, 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 I'm telling you as an example that I'm committed to this, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay, and it starts with me. And so here's the thing. That's the stuff, that's like four things I felt like God said I needed to communicate with you. If you're new or visiting, we don't do this every week, by the way. Like, this is kind of a different Sunday. Like, each week we're not like, hey, this person's house burnt down and I'm going to confess and repent to you. Like, it's a little bit different, but we we just do life together and we, we believe in this stuff. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Over the last few months, I feel like God's been coming at me and telling me, you've got to deal with this in your life. And the same is true for you. If you want to experience this, you've got to deal with this. And see, here's the thing. I've only talked to you about what I went through, and some of you already have labels for this, and I haven't said a word about what it might be. That's God communicating to you what this is in your life. Here's the deal. If we want the refreshment, if we want the electrolytes from the Gatorade formula, if we want the rejuvenation, if we want the revival, if we want the goodness and the abundance life that God has for us, we just got to get rid of this. So what is this in your life? And would you join me in getting rid of it? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we do thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that even though you are a holy,